right, we are into week number two of our series, Winning the War in Your Mind. And last week, as we talked, we just talked a little bit about God has designed our brain in a specific way. That, and as science grows, science understands more and more about how God has designed the brain, that, that we have these pathways that gr- get created when we think. And it starts from the time that we're, we're, we're just little tiny babies, even in our mother's w- womb. Like from that point, because they've shown that babies can recognize their mother's voice from one of the earliest ages. Because just from them, they, they begin to connect these dots and form these pathways. When that baby grows and it, it goos and it gauze and it makes mom smile, they recognize, hey, if I make this sound, I get their attention. And those pathways get formed eventually they, they learn things like, when I poop on the potty, it makes mom happy. And the connection gets formed. I mean, don't you miss the point in your life when you could walk into the room and declare, I pooped on the potty, and people clap for you. Wasn't that a good time? But, but kids, they learn from the earliest age to make these connections within their brain. And the more that that connection gets reinforced, the stronger it is, the easier it is to think and act and live that way. And so it grows. Child wants a lollipop. They want the sucker. Mom says no. They cry. They cry louder. Mom gives the sucker. Mom becomes a sucker. Child makes the connection. If I pitch a fit, I get what I want. And we have to unmake connections sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we get to points in our life where there's things that we learned that the wires got crossed on. The path didn't lead where it should have. And we see the world the wrong way and we have to make adjustments. When we look through Scripture and it talks about us fighting the spiritual fight that we need to fight, Scripture identifies that so much of that fight happens in our mind. Because the way that we think, the way that we react to the world, the way that we interpret a situation and decide how to react to it, it has vast spiritual implications. And last week as we looked, I'm going to pull the passage up on my phone. I think that's become common enough in our world today to, to read Scripture from the phone. And last week we, we studied, for, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, listen to this, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, why is it important to take every thought captive, to grab a hold of it and actually control it? Because so, so much of the time, we just want to feel how we feel, and we just want to think what we think, and we think that for some reason, if it's just the natural state of our reaction, and it's the most authentic way to react to it, that it's the healthiest. I want to tell you, our default reaction to a situation does not really determine whether that is the right reaction. Spouses can identify that in the other spouse. It can be harder to identify 
within yourself. But the scriptural instruction is that we need to look at our thoughts. We need to think about our thoughts and actually capture some of those thoughts and force them to be obedient to what Christ has taught. This is a learned behavior. This is something that we have to fight through and struggle through. I'm going to bring my table a little bit closer here. There we go. This is the truth that I want to start to teach to you in today's message. That if we don't control what we think, we'll never control what we do. If you don't control what you think, if you don't take control about the, of the way that you're thinking about a struggle, if you don't take control about the way that you're thinking about a temptation, if you don't take control about the way that you're thinking about your future and your dreams, you will never be able to direct your course in the direction that it needs to go. We have to begin to take control of the way that we're thinking. We have to train our mind. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 describes it this way, and we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. And it says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We have this instruction to, to redirect, to correct to exchange, to replace the way that we have been thinking. You know, I'll, I'll compare it like this. You know, just like our body, we make decisions about our body. Many of us have decided, much like me, many times that I'm going to get in shape. But then, you know, we want an exterior thing of our body to change. But then what happens on the interior, we take chocolate cupcakes and we pour it in, and we somehow hope that, you know, something like this is going to come out. It's like, Lord, will you bless these 12 cupcakes to the nourishment of my body and make me strong, slim, and steadfast? And we understand physically that what you put into your body determines what your body will look like. We understand that to lose weight, we have to be in a caloric deficit to what we're doing, but for some reason, we don't apply the same obvious truth to our mind. That what we put into our head, what we're thinking about, what we allow our mind to rest on is going to have impact and implications on who we are and how we are. The Apostle Paul's instruction is fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on these type of things. What is admirable if it's praiseworthy. This is what's supposed to be taking up space and occupancy within your head. In the New King James version of it, it uses the word meditate, that we should meditate on it. And when I say the word meditate, I know some of you guys are like, okay, Paul, you're gonna get all hippie on me here and have me doing yoga and wearing yoga pants? No, I would never do that to you, but here's a picture of me wearing yoga pants. No, if you looked at the screen when I said that, you need to fix your mind. There is something wrong. No, that's not what meditation is. Eastern meditation, it, it, it's this, you know, kind of spiritual deceptive thing of clear your mind of everything else. And somehow you'll find peace in the clearing of your mind. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with the truth of God. 
Biblical meditation, when it calls you to meditate, it's not saying just, just become empty and somehow that will heal you. That's not how it works. Healing is going to be found in replacing what has currently been driving you crazy, what, is, what you have been worrying about, what you have been obsessing about, what you've been fearful about. Replacing those thoughts with the truths of Scripture. And this isn't just the Apostle Paul. In Psalms, we see quite a few times where it encourages us and it tells us that we need to meditate on the great things that he's done. Meditate on his words. We have to meditate on his precepts and consider his ways. It says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. These are the things that are supposed to be taking up occupancy in our mind and how we think. It's not, it's not the emptying, but it's the filling. And, and so we have to look and say, okay, what have I been putting in and is it making me healthier? Because whatever you are allowing to reside in that space, it's going to direct your paths ahead. And so if you've been struggling with fear, what kind of media have you been consuming? What kind of news have you been listening to? And I'm not anti-entertainment and I'm not anti-news, but if your balance of content is 100% how the world is living and 0% scripture, then you know what that kind of diet is going to lead you to. And we need to interpret what's happening in the world through the lens of Scripture's teachings. We need to respond to our situations at work and within our family with a mind that is fresh with the Word of God. We have to choose to meditate, to, to run it through, to fix our eyes. If we want to fix our problems, we have to fix our minds by filling them with God's promises. One promise at a time, filling up our tank with what's going to push us forward. And so as we analyze what's going on in our head, this is just one of the questions that I'd encourage you. Because each one of you I know has a different struggle right now. But what does God think about what you're thinking about? What does God think about the way that your thought patterns have been running? If you were to sit down with him for a coffee date and he said, I want to talk to you about what is in your mind right now. Would it be a moment of encouragement or would it be a moment of fear for you? Because this is the encouraging thing is that we have instruction. We don't have to guess about what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be fixing our mind on these things. And it doesn't matter if you naturally feel like you get there. And in fact, what you have to do is you have to say, I understand that these wires have been crossed and they may have been crossed since the time I was a child because this is how I saw everyone else doing life. And now I have to make this adjustment. And God is glorified when we change directions and when we change the way that we've been doing something. And so when we begin to take new information from Scripture and apply it to our life, our Heavenly Father rejoices over that. 
What, what would God be thinking about the things that you've been thinking about and worrying about? Because this is our natural reaction if we don't choose to confront. If we don't allow the Spirit of God to move in our heart and direct us to address the way that we've been thinking. Our natural reaction, I believe, is described in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 20. It says, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. And that might be harsh language for you to hear, but the fact is we all do choose evil. We all do choose sin. And our most natural reaction when our issues are be, begin to just get a little bit close to the light and it's like someone might be able to see what's really going on, our natural reaction is to run from that moment. But I want to tell you, there is so much peace, there is so much freedom when you allow all of what has been hidden to be brought into the light. There is so much healing when what you have kept hidden is brought into the light. And when we talk about the area of our thinking, I know that so many of us, it's like, I've never even thought about what I think about. I've never even thought about how I think. But there's probably so many things that we've glorified in our mind that we know go against the precepts of Scripture. And when we allow God to bring that out, there's a greater sense of peace. And there's a greater sense of God's Spirit speaking that, that we can hear. And I'll call out a couple areas that I see prevalent in the church today. One area way of thinking, because we, we, there's lots of them that are more obvious to us, but I'd say ones that, that need to be addressed is so much of the church, we have a pursuit of knowledge about God, but not a pursuit of intimacy with God. And we come into church with a desire for intellectual entertainment and stimulation. We want to know the details and, and, and the fine pieces about God and how to relate him, but we just don't want to actually put them into practice. We don't want to come into a space where we actually have to get close to our Heavenly Father, because if we do that, then he's going to address some things that maybe we don't want to address yet. We keep it in the darkness. And I, I want to encourage you, church, I, I want you to come in here with a desire and with an expectation that I'm going to experience a moment with God when I come to worship. That, that when I open up my heart and I sing to him and I actually address him in prayer, I'm not just speaking biblical knowledge that I've picked up along the way, but I'm actually going to speak to him. And I'm actually going to hear from him. I'm going to sense his spirit directing me to take a step. And it might be it might be scary, it might be difficult, it might be frightening, but I'm not going to be afraid to trust him because I know him. You know, parenting, it, it'll teach you more and more about God's unconditional love. Because the more and more that your children act crazy, you're just like, how do I still love them? They keep doing this, but I still keep loving Like, it's just this thing that God sets in you. It teaches you as you're a parent. And, and like my four-year-old, I think I've shared with you guys before, he likes to try to tell me that he's the boss. And there's a special feeling that you get inside of you when a four-year-old looks at you and says, I'm the boss. And you say, no, you're not. I can pick you up with my left hand and swat you with my right in a loving and appropriate manner. Right? But here's the thing. You know, my, my kids are human. They're pastor's kids. They're human. They're great kids. I love them. I'm so proud of them. And my son, when he acts up, 
thing that he immediately wants when he gets corrected, he wants to be held. And he knows that he can be. He doesn't have to ask. When he's in a moment that's emotionally difficult for him, he just comes and flops over on me. That's the picture, I think, of what it's supposed to be like. There's times where we get corrected because our Heavenly Father, He knows our heart. He knows our mind. And He says, what, what you've allowed to sit there and reside in your head, it's not healthy and it's not helping. So change it. And let me take you by the right hand as we walk through this. And the gathering of the church together it's not, it's not a seminar. It's an interaction with your heavenly Father and with your church family. And so it's not just about a pursuit of knowledge that, that Scripture says puffs up. But it's a pursuit of intimacy with Him. In the same vein, I see this across so many churches, that there's, there's this pursuit, there's this self-abuse that I think happens in churches. Because I know that a heavenly father, he, he disciplines a child that he loves. Like that's what a godly father is supposed to do. But within churches, there's also this sense of like, if I don't leave church feeling guilty, then it wasn't good today. And that sounds weird to say, but I know that if you've been around church for a while, you've seen it, you've felt it, maybe you've had to walk through it before. There's this sense that I need guilt. And if guilt was there, then, then the spirit of God was there. But here's the thing about guilt, and here's how you can tell the difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt leaves you walking out the door feeling, man, I am messed up. Conviction has you walking out the door saying, man, there's an opportunity for me to grow. Like what I did, it was wrong, but I know that God is propelling me out of that. There, there's a sense of future. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense that God hasn't given up on me. There's a sense that you don't need to give up on yourself. And that's how you can determine whether the Spirit of God is in what's happening in your mind and in your heart at the minute is how you feel. Because God is not going to try to instill on you a sense of shame. He's going to instill in you a sense of calling. His correction comes with calling. His correction comes with invitation. When he welcomed the prodigal son home, the father's sense was celebration. You're getting it right now. You can be a son again. Put on the right clothing. Put on the right mentality. Come back into the house. Don't sit outside. Don't, don't try to clean yourself up. What I have for you is going to clean you up better. When you come to church, I hope that you come with an openness to if the Spirit of God speaks to me about changing something, I'll do it because I know what He has for me is better than what I'm trying to cling to myself. But if you come in with a mentality of, I just want to feel guilty, I'm sure you'll get it, and I'm sure there's churches that will be happy to make you feel bad about yourself, and I hope that you don't get that from me, but I believe that God has in each one of us a purpose and a plan. And when He convicts your heart about sin, don't let the devil try to twist that moment to make you just focus on you and your past. Because we're supposed to put the past behind us and press on towards what is ahead. And when your heavenly father shows you something and brings it into the light and says, let's deal with this, it's because he has a future ahead of you. We don't come here just for guilt. We, we come here to connect. We don't come here for just self-abuse. 
some people, another line of thinking that I want to address in this, as far as how it relates to the church, is I think some people have a, a sense of freedom from other people. They, they have this sense that, like, my worship, it's just about me. It's just about what I want. It's just about what I enjoy. It's just about me. And I can come into church and I can sit by myself and I can stand by myself and I can leave without saying anything to anyone. I can stay at my screen and I can never say hello to anyone else. I can never interact with anyone else. And I I never have to share about anything with anyone else. And I'll just live my Christian life in isolation. This is another destructive line of thinking. Because when God describes what he did for his people, he, he was establishing the church which means the assembly of the people, the church, which Christ compare, it's, it's compared to Christ's body. And you're supposed to be connected into it. And when one piece is missing, all of the pieces suffer. And so we can't come into a church with a, and it's all about me mentality. It has to be about we. It has to be about us. It has to be about how can I encourage and help someone else here today. It's part of our worship. Our worship is supposed to help encourage other people to have a sense of freedom and acceptance and love. It's supposed to be a picture of, king, of God's kingdom here on earth. We can't come in and just think, if I just do my part in isolation, then that's enough. I mean, the church is described as a body, but we don't need a whole bunch of people acting like the butt up in here. Stinking the place up, just sitting around, needing a swift kick. We don't need a bunch of those. We need people who are willing to, to speak, willing to serve, willing to go, willing to give, willing to receive in those moments of need. We need a body that is active and connected together. And if you've had a line of thinking in your mind that I just I come in and I do my thing and it's about me and then I go, we have to come into Gulfside Church or come into the stream with a sense of church is a time for community. It's a time for assembly of God's people. And so I have to help move the love of God all through each one of these people. This is my church family. We can't come in with just a sense of I worship in isolation. Our minds, we have to train these things. And I know that they're not natural. I know a lot of these Lines of thinking that we've slid into, we've just kind of accepted that this is just how I do it. But we have to evaluate the way that we think, the way that we act against what Scripture teaches. Last week I reminded you that that God's promises, they are powerful enough to tear down strongholds. You've been in a behavior for years, for decades, doesn't matter. God's Spirit, God's Word, it's powerful enough to address any of those things. And, it, and if you've been struggling with any specific area, whether it be anxiety, worry, fear, lust, you pick the area. When you begin to apply a scriptural truth to it, you begin to replace the space that it's occupied. Where those thoughts of fear have just always resigned, It's like you're beginning to put a new memory there. You know, I I remember, I haven't won many competitions in my life, but I will brag on my second grade accomplishment right here, right now. 
Um, when I was in second grade, we're learning the times tables and stuff. I was okay with not doing well on the times test. I don't even know if they're allowed to do this anymore until the day where they started playing the game Around the World. Around the World was a game in my classroom at Chatillon Elementary in Naples, Florida, where you would have to stand up next to another student and the teacher would show a flashcard. Whoever got the answer out first got to stay and the other kid had to sit back down at their table and that kid went to another table. So right in front of all of your peers, you had to show how well you knew your math. It wasn't until that point where I decided I really needed to have this. And I want to tell you, like, it's one of those neural pathway things that it's like, when you have to think about math, you can tell it takes a second. Okay, like six times eight, it's, it's six times four, twice, 24, 24, 40. Like, you can tell when people have to do the math. I got to the point where, and they made fun of me for my little finger thing, but I was just like, I just spit the answer out as soon as it came out, every time. My teacher ended up, I'd go all the way in the classroom, get back to my seat. She'd be like, okay, Paul, you have to sit down and give someone else a chance. Because I was like, I had it. I had made the neural pathway connections where the answer was immediate. And this same thing is true within our mind about how we see the world. That you will have an incident where someone cuts you off in traffic and you will flip to the answer immediately that you have always known of tell them they're number one. Honk the horn, scream at them, mutter under your breath. You'll have your answer. But when you begin to replace that answer with, I need to extend grace to other people, it might take you a minute to do the math in your head. It might take you to say, okay, I understand. This is what I thought the answer was. This is what the answer needs to be. I need to pull out my, my scripture passage of bearing each other's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ being kind and compassionate to each other, bearing each other's burdens, thus fulfilling the laws of Christ. It might take you a minute to get the answer out. You might have to learn it, but here's what I know and here's what I've experienced when I've seen since second grade. You can start memorizing the new answers and, and eventually it will become your reaction. Transformation is the goal. Transformation is achieved through the renewing of our mind and our mind is renewed by the truths of Scripture. And I want to tell you, they, they require effort and memory. Change requires effort and memory. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to end this out. The way that that effort and memory is referred to in Scripture is meditation. To take a truth from Scripture and meditate on it. And I love it because it, it can operate like a prescription. You have an area of struggle. You have an area of concern. You have an area of weakness. You find the prescribed passage. You commit it to memory. You allow it to occupy the space that that struggle used to live. And it gets pushed out. And you create a new pathway. You create a new connection. You have this new trust and faith. You have a new response that you can just automatically go to without thinking. I've experienced this in so many different areas. I think I'm experiencing it to a deeper level right now, just even with God as a provider. I find myself in my own family. I'm just, I'm ready to just toss money out now and give it away because I'm just like, God provides. Like if we give it back, it, it returns. I've seen it because what's happening in the church. Like I, I, I am so encouraged. I am so amazed. I don't know why I'm amazed because God's faithfulness always happens like this of how a church like ours has risen up to meet this need and meet this opportunity.
It's incredible. And the more that you practice this, the more that you become convinced of it, the more that you allow God to work in it. So there's some things that we need to learn how to say. There's some things that we need to learn how to believe. And just like when we're learning a math equation, sometimes saying the words, it just feels like they don't fit. I want to read to you a statement from, this is from a lot of different scripture passages condensed together that's true about you. This is true about your life. This is true about your situation. This is true about your past. And it might feel like the math doesn't add up on that because you don't know me. God knows you. This is truth about you. You are strong and mighty. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are who God says you are. He says you are forgiven. He says you are redeemed. He says you are free. He says you are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons you fight with are not the weapons of this world. You have a divine power to demolish strongholds. You have the mind of Christ directing your thoughts. You have the word of God guiding your steps. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, guards your mind, and guards your souls in Christ Jesus. Your God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. The Lord is your helper. You will not be afraid. You're not a slave to your habits. You're not a prisoner to an addiction. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. Your God will bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Not death, not demons, not the present, nor the past. No power on earth will ever separate you from the love of God. You are freed from your past. You are set free to become all God has called you to be. His promises are true. So we will meditate on his words. Let's pray. Jesus, we know we can trust you. But we're afraid to start sometimes. And so instead of fear, we will choose faith. Instead of allowing fearful thoughts to reside in our mind, we will reside on faith. On what those who have walked before us have done. Trusting the promises that you have spoken knowing that they are still true. So guide our thoughts so that then our behaviors will be guided as well. And as we win this war in our mind, we know that our families, our cities, and our lives will be transformed. In Jesus' name.